The next thing I know is I wake up and I just remember like something bad happened to me last night. Somebody hurt me. This is Carrie Lowe's story. Carrie did everything, quote unquote, right. She reported right away. Her legal team says police systematically mishandled her case. Meanwhile, her attackers remain at large. I'm Maggie Rahr, and this is Carrie Lowe versus. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is back in the Middle East trying to shore up support for a new truce in the Israel-Hamas war. As this war drags into its fifth month, the U.N. says close to 100,000 people in Gaza have been killed, injured, or are missing. There are still more than 100 Israeli hostages being held, and Israeli forces continue their bombardment of Gaza. The CBC's Chris Brown is in Jerusalem. Chris, hello. Hey, Matt. Hi. What do we know about this latest ceasefire deal that has been proposed? What was on the table and and where are the discussions at? Well, we know it's very elusive. Uh, It's not coming together quickly. Not really that anyone thought it would, but I think uh, it's fair to say that broadly within Israeli society and no doubt within the Palestinian areas as well, it's also disappointing that there hasn't actually been more said about it and uh, where 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 we're at. Um, the broad parameters seem to be based on leaks that came from both the, the Israeli and the American side. I think the Israelis were proposing something along the lines of a six-week pause. They were going to exchange uh, some Palestinian prisoners, the exact ratio of Palestinian prisoners for uh, Israeli hostages. That was one of the holdups. And then, of course, there was uh, what happens during this pause. Would Israel have to pull its military out of Gaza? Would there be overflights? Uh, What kind of negotiations would be going on during this pause in order to try to stretch it? So all of that is vague. Uh, None of it is very clear, but um, it's no coincidence, uh, Matt, that Anthony Blinken is in uh, Egypt and Qatar today. Those were the two key countries that were involved in the negotiations that at least have sort of presented this ceasefire proposal. But as yet, uh, the ball appears to be in Hamas's court, and they have not given an answer. What is the sense? I mean, Blinken continues to make these you know, sort of shuttle diplomacy trips to the Middle East and visiting with uh, the various powers there. What's the sense as to what his goal is? Is, is it to try to, to move this, this proposal along to the finish line? I think he's trying to bundle up a whole bunch of different things. I mean, this starting, beginning, I should say, on uh, October 7th, when you look now at where we've come, uh, there's violence all around this area. We're talking the Red Sea, Yemen, uh, Iraq, Syria, not to mention Lebanon, and the U.S. and Britain, uh, to some degree, are, are right in the middle of it all. So uh, his big concern is trying to prevent what started in Gaza from getting even bigger than it already has. So uh, this bundle that he's talking about that you hear from U.S. officials is is trying to first get a pause. They're not calling it a ceasefire. I believe their words are a sustained pause mm. in Gaza. And the hope is from there, well, you know, the Houthis will stop attacking the ships and the resistance, Islamic resistance in Iraq will stop attacking U.S. and other uh, bases there. So it all seems to hinge on this uh, ceasefire. And, and right now, as I say, um, there, there's no no real, no real word on where that's at. And in the meantime, the war continues. Israel's now threatening a ground assault on Rafah, where over half of the 2.3 million people in Gaza are now seeking shelter. What are Israeli officials saying about that? Well, 
you know, just just before I say what they're saying, we have to know this is a a tiny little area. Like it's sixty five square kilometers, and um, while it has been largely untouched by the war, there certainly have been um, attacks in there. There is all kinds of people, hundreds of thousands sleeping in tents, crammed up against that fence with Egypt, and so there really is nowhere to go. And Israel is very aware of this. Uh, the, the defense minister uh, Yoav Gallant has said that the next phase of this war will involve some kind of an attack uh, on Hamas elements in Rafah. If you go through what the IDF have said, they believe that they have killed or eliminated somewhere in the order of maybe two-thirds of Hamas's fighting force, of their, of their battalions. And they say the last part, the last functional units, are down in Rafa, and they have to be taken out. At the same time, they know that this is immensely controversial. It's going to be immensely bloody. It's going to be immensely problematic with all of Israel's international partners. So they've been deliberately vague on exactly when and how, and, and even how all of this syncs up with a possible pause or a ceasefire. Will they go in if, if, if there is a ceasefire? So instead, what we've seen in the last couple of days anyways is a lot more statements about what they're doing in Han Yunus, which is more up towards the middle, going into the tunnels, uh, trying to flush out Hamas militants. We're getting an almost hourly stream of notes from the IDF with a tally of, of militants that they've killed. So I think that's kind of meant to give this sign of progress that things are moving along. The war is being won without actually going into Rafa. You're in Jerusalem. What is, what is, as you understand it, the public opinion in Israel of Benjamin Netanyahu's leadership at this moment? There were these enormous protests before the 7th of October. Um, after that attack, the sense was that perhaps people were rallying around that, that, that war cabinet um, in the fight against Hamas. But now months into this war, as you understand it, what are Israelis thinking? How are they thinking about about their prime minister? Well, every single poll that I've seen has suggested that uh, a, a relatively small number of Israelis want him to continue on as prime minister, certainly after the war, and a great many of them want him to go now. Uh, he's blamed uh, for not protecting Israel from Hamas, and now he's getting blamed for two other things, not returning the hostages by some and not winning the war from others. So he's he's under an immense amount of pressure, but he's got this coalition he's trying to hold together with these uh, far-right groups that uh, uh, control the key seats. Uh, without them, his government falls. And so he's trying to placate them. And that's why he's not embracing this idea of a hostage exchange. Uh, he's still saying publicly, uh, at least in Hebrew, that this war is going to continue. And that's what the uh, parties on the right want to hear. Um, but there's also an issue with how do you get rid of him if he is unpopular? It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, it would need defections from within his Likud party, within his coalition. And so far, because of these messages that he's been sending, he's very deft, very, very capable of balancing off all these different power plays and rivals. Uh, his coalition still seems pretty solid. So as unpopular as he is, those who want him out don't appear to have a, a, a ready means in order to do it at least while the war is continuing. One of those members of the coalition, Itamar Ben-Gavir, did an interview with the Wall Street Journal this week in which he said that he was hoping that the Israeli government would pay Palestinians to leave Gaza and that the Israeli government would then set up settlements there. He's a key member of that coalition. Where does that put 
Where does that put Benjamin Netanyahu, but also the United States, which has been backing the Israeli government? Well, it's pretty clear the Americans are losing patience with the far right, particularly Tamar Ben-Gavir. They announced after a lot of foot-dragging the other day that they're going to finally sanction Israeli, violent Israeli settlers who kill or attack Palestinians in the West Bank. And they had held off doing that, even though there have been all kinds of opportunities to do it. There have been 506 Palestinians killed in the West Bank in the last year. And since October the 7th, we spoke to uh, Bet Salem, which is one of the human rights groups here, they, they said it's been an eruption of violence, an eruption of revenge against Palestinians in the West Bank. So this has been laying out there for the U.S. to act on, and they had not, but they finally have now. So there is a, there is some sense that they're losing patience um, with Ben Gavir and, and his ilk. Uh, and uh, you can also see the feeling is mutual because uh, Itamar Ben Gavir is also getting much sharper in his criticisms of the Americans uh, and their efforts to try to shape an outcome here to their liking. Chris, we will be watching as ever. Uh, this continues. And, and as you mentioned, there's a lot on the table right now. Uh, thank you very much for this. Good talking to you, Matt. The CBC's Chris Brown. He was in Jerusalem. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.